Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is a recording of an interview that I did with a journalist named Abby Miller, who's a science journalist that is writing a book titled The Spirituality Gap, uh, where she's going to explore a range of different spiritual practices and examine how people make sense of life in the modern world. So as a science reporter, Abby was approaching the subject from more of a skeptical perspective, but she said that she hoped to maintain a balance between skepticism and open-mindedness. She asked me if I wanted to do an interview for a chapter of the book that's going to be on astrology, and I said that I would agree under the condition that we could record and release the discussion as an episode of my podcast, which she agreed to do. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to record an episode with somebody who is skeptical but curious about astrology and to sort of demonstrate how I would personally answer some of the questions about astrology that naturally come up in that context. In some ways, this is a continuation of a similar approach that I took in episode 288 of the Astrology Podcast, which was entitled Explaining Astrology to Non-Astrologers. And if you enjoy this episode, then I'd recommend checking that one out as well. All right, let's get started with the interview. Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Joining me today is Abby Miller, and we're going to be doing an interview where you have some questions um, related to a book that you're writing about uh, a number of different things. So, um, could you first, like, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and about this book that you're working on? Hey, Chris. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's really nice to speak to you today. Um, so, my name is Abby Miller. I'm a British journalist, and I'm working on a book called The Spirituality Gap, which is going to be published by. Duckworth Books in late 24, early 25. And the book is sort of profiling different forms of spirituality that have emerged as traditional religion has declined. So astrology is obviously one big example. I'm also going to be looking at practices like tarot, reiki, even psychedelics, meditation. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's why I'm speaking to you today. I thought that you'd be a really interesting person to speak to for the astrology chapter. Cool. Awesome. And You've done a lot of journalism. Is your journalism is focused on science reporting primarily in the past up to this point? That's correct. Yes. Okay, got it. All right, cool. Um, well, uh, why don't we start um, with your first question, where I think you wanted to ask about my background, right? Absolutely. So, I'm really interested in why you became an astrologer and what your own journey towards it involved. So at what point in your life did you discover astrology and what was it about it that appealed to you or convinced you of its relevance? Sure. So I, I discovered astrology, like real uh, advanced astrology beyond sun signs, because I think everybody has some basic familiarity of sun signs relatively early in life. But uh, I discovered it late in my teen years, uh, the concept of birth charts, because it was around the year 1999, and it was the turn of the millennium, and I started studying some books on Nostradamus and got into some New Age things. And one of the things that I discovered through that was the concept of the birth chart and transits and the idea that astrology was more complex than I thought previously. Um, and I uh, really began studying it very intensely from that point and decided that that's what I wanted to to focus on and study, um, including going to college for that after high school in order to focus my studies on astrology. And while I eventually stopped, I sort of fell out of interest um, with some of the new age and other types of things that I was focused on up to that point, astrology was the one thing that stuck with me because I thought that there was a uh, empirical component to it that I could validate through repeated observations. 
So that was the, the reason why I decided to continue pursuing that and focusing on it, in addition to just that I found it really fascinating, the concept that that should work at all, or the concept that the concept of a birth chart could work at all. It is really interesting. Yeah, because it, I mean, realistically, like as a normal Western, you know, person um, that is, has always had an interest in like, you know, science or, or has a, a genuine interest or grew up learning basic things like that. Um, you know, we grew up in a, a cultural circumstance where there's not really a place for astrology and that's not really something that we think should work or does work. And, um, yet for some reason seeing that it did there was something very fascinating to me about that that something like that could work and what that said about the nature of the world and cosmology and all sorts of things like that and i found some of those questions so fascinating that i just wanted to pursue that and try to take it as far as i could Speaking of the uh, the cosmology of it i mean that's something that i'm really curious about so for the time being at least i'd characterize myself as a skeptic when it comes to astrology Although I say I'm very open-minded at the same time. And my main reasoning for that is even if, as you say, it does work, I can see no reason why it should work. So can you tell me a little bit about the sort of cosmology or worldview that underlies it and um, why exactly should the position of the stars at the moment of somebody's birth uh, tell you anything about what's going to happen to them in life? Sure. Um, yeah, I think that the basic definition of astrology, my basic definition and my summary of most traditions of astrology and what they, they all have in common is this basic premise that there's a persistent correlation between celestial movements and earthly events. And that's it. And that's the basic definition of astrology. And um, there's different branches of astrology or different applications of astrology that take that basic premise and apply it in different ways. For example, there's the oldest form of astrology is mundane astrology, which is that major celestial movements will sometimes correlate with major events on Earth that affect lots of people. Um, for example, like if if an eclipse happens in the ancient world and then a king died at the same time, that would be viewed as a correlation between like a celestial movement that affected happened in the sky that then affected like an entire city or kingdom or what have you. Um, and then that premise is also extended to other concepts or other branches, such as natal astrology, which is the premise that the alignment of the planets at the moment that an individual is born will say something about both their their character, the nature of their life, as well as their future. Um, and I think that's the type of astrology that most people are familiar with. But all of that just goes back to the basic premise that there's a correlation between celestial movements and earthly events. Yeah, so it's really interesting, um, especially because, as you say, there's a kind of element of empirical observation involved there, um, which yeah. uh, ties into a question I had about whether you consider astrology to be a science per se. And I know there's some kind of debate over what constitutes a science versus a pseudoscience. Where does that kind of where do you draw the line between the two? Do you feel like um, it's missing the point to be talking about astrology in scientific terms at all? Should we be thinking about it more as maybe an art form or as a religion? Or is it really a kind of scientific pursuit as far as you're concerned? I mean, well, first you'd have to answer the questions like, first, is that is the premise true? Like, are the, there actually correlations between celestial movements and earthly events? Um, and because if that's true, then it's reflecting something about a basic property 
that's occurring in nature. And therefore, that is something that's sort of within the purview of science to the extent that science is just trying to understand the nature of the cosmos and understand the nature of different things that are actually occurring in nature, different phenomenon. Um, so I think it is to that extent that it's studying something, if it's a legitimate property in nature, is scientific in what it's trying to accomplish. Um, but whether it's developed based on um, the principles that are usually applied in modern, a modern scientific setting, like the scientific method, then astrology is not usually practiced or developed in that context because astrology hasn't been part of universities or the mainstream scientific paradigm for several centuries now. So it wouldn't constitute a science in the sense that it's not usually being practiced in, in that sort of strict scientific context. You say that it hasn't been sort of treated as a science uh, for a few centuries. And my understanding of astrology, which is fairly basic, is that um, if you look at the distant past, astrology and astronomy were treated almost as two sides of the same coin, or they were the same discipline before actually they diverged. And astronomy was continued to be seen as a respectable science, whereas astrology didn't. And I know you're a lot more well-versed in the history of astrology than I am, so I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about what happened there. Sure. I mean, there is a I don't know if there's a debate about this, but there is a there's a common presumption in um, texts both on the history of astronomy and the history of astrology that astrology and astronomy have always been intertwined and that they used to be one and the same in the ancient world. And I think there's a certain extent to which that's true to the extent that there have been famous astronomers who are also astrologers like Claudius Ptolemy in the second century, or later Johannes Kepler, or uh, even Galileo. But um, I think there has always been a somewhat of a distinction where astronomy has been about the observation and measurement of the heavens, while astrology is about the study of the correlations between celestial and movements and earthly events. And those are kind of distinct things, even though they're both um, you know, focused on a similar area of this, they're focused on the sky and they're drawing on similar data. There's still a distinction there. So, that one of the objections I've had is that they've not always been one and the same, even though they have somewhat parallel paths due to the common things that they're drawing on to a certain extent. So, I guess I wanted to say that first just to establish that. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, part of my argument for that is that. On the one hand, while you have famous, you know, astronomers like Ptolemy who wrote a work on astrology, um, he also wrote a separate work on astronomy, and those weren't, you know, those were sort of separate um, books, basically, rather than just like combined treatments of astrology and astronomy. And I think if there had been absolutely no distinction between astronomy and astrology, that um, you know, those would have been merged much more, treated at the same time rather than being treated separately. So that's, you know, it's like a minor point, but it's kind of an important point that perhaps, even though they were more intertwined, and if you go further back into the the Babylonian tradition, you did have these long traditions of sometimes family traditions of people going out and looking at the stars every night and doing observational astronomy. But also then sometimes writing down correlations of events that happen on Earth at the same time, and maybe in those 
uh, astronomy and astrology were a bit more merged at that point. But by centuries later, when they're writing like separate works on astronomy and astrology, I think there's at least some divergence already happening there relatively early on. Interesting. And why would you say it was that astrology actually fell out of favor, whereas astronomy itself didn't? Sure. So one of the issues is that the fall of astrology had a lot more to do with a paradigm shift that occurred um, in the Renaissance, especially during a relatively quick succession of events that changed our cosmology. And that kind of rendered the cosmology that had been used up to that point obsolete. And astrology was kind of like an incidental casualty of that in some ways. So it's like you have a scientific paradigm that exists all the way up until that point. Um, but then all of a sudden, that not, just, not even just that scientific paradigm, but that um, cosmology or worldview is suddenly overthrown, and astrology just happened to be connected with it up to that point. So astrology becomes just like an incidental ca cause, uh, casualty of that. Because one point that's important is it's not like all of a sudden you know, people did a bunch of scientific studies in the 1700s that suddenly showed that astrology was like statistically um, not valid or not true. Like that's not what was happening at that point. And that's usually how scientific things are established, you know, in modern times of, of whether you determine if something's scientifically valid or not valid. But instead, it was that there was this shift in the worldview of um, how the cosmos worked that suddenly um, changed. And astrology, just because up to that point for a number of centuries, it had been taking that worldview for granted as part of its just assumption about why astrology works, um, that becomes part of the reason why things changed all of a sudden. Does that make sense? So there's other pieces to that that I'll explain, but I just want to make sure that that sort of what I'm saying up to yeah. this point makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. All it right. does. So the other part of it is that um, part of why that happened is that our astronomical cosmology up to that point, up until the Renaissance, was partially based on Ptolemy's view of the cosmos, which put the Earth at the center of the solar system. And this became sort of a foundational paradigm for astronomy up to that point and was our rationale for uh, the situation of um, why the planets were doing what they do and moved in the ways that they did. Um, and Ptolemy wrote this really major astronomical work in the second century that all subsequent astronomical works and works on cosmology then were based off of. And he was able to do that partially because he improved the practice of astronomy up to that point, and he was able to create a new um, paradigm for astronomy that worked really well, or at least worked better than the system up to that point, and therefore established his astronomical works as like the best um, paradigm and best approach and the easiest and most effective approach to take for astronomy and predicting where the planets will be in the past as well as the future up to that point. So everybody followed and emulated Ptolemy after the second century. But um, Ptolemy was a polymath and he you know, specialized in a number of different fields. He also wrote works on optics, on harmonics, uh, and he also uh, on geography. And he also wrote a book on astrology because he was kind of trying, he was like a kind of like a genius or a polymath, and he was trying to like 
create this almost like unified scientific view of the world that tied together all these different fields of knowledge that were um, you know, uh, matters of science at that point and to create a scientific paradigm that t- took into account or made room for all of those under one umbrella. So one of the ones he tried to do that for was astrology as well. And part of his, what he tried to do is he tried to um, justify or explain astrology within the context of the prevailing scientific paradigm in his day, which was in the second century. So part of what he tried to do was explain astrology within second century um, causal cosmology, which believed that there were sometimes um, influences or effects that were coming down from the planets and that were affecting things on Earth, and that that became part of his justification for astrology. Um, just because that was like the scientific concept that made the most sense at that time. So the analogy is kind of like if there was a scientist or a polymath today in the early 21st century, like let's say like a Neil deGrasse Tyson or somebody like that who came up with a justification for astrology within the context of what we currently know about science and how the world works. Like let's say he took some parts of like Einstein's theory of relativity and he merged it with like some current prevailing ideas about quantum mechanics or whatever we currently think we know about quantum mechanics and then that explains or it provides some current justification for astrology so that um it's not just a matter of people applying astrology and it working but all of a sudden there's a broader paradigm that makes sense within our current cosmology about how it could work because that becomes one of the the, the biggest objections and it was one I know that, that you raised at one point where you said that you had a consultation with somebody and it worked, or at least it seemed like they did a good job and that astrology worked, but that you assumed it must be confirmation bias and kind of rejected it because you th- said that there's no way that this could work or you don't understand how this could be possible within the context of what you currently know. So therefore, it must not be true, even though you had that personal subjective experience of feeling like maybe there was something there. Um, so that's basically what Ptolemy did is he created something that was true at the time, but imagine if that paradigm that's created today by a scientist a thousand years ago, our current scientific understanding of the world is disproven because they've created or they've come up or discovered something new about the nature of the cosmos and it creates a new scientific paradigm at the time, which then incidentally throws out the old paradigm. But if some people had rationalized astrology based on that, that paradigm from the early 21st century, then astrology would accidentally get thrown out as well, um, just as an incidental part of the cosmology, because people had too closely associated their broader explanation for how it could work with just some current scientific paradigm. And scientific paradigms are always shifting every few centuries because our understanding of science and of the world is always. Um, not preliminary, but it's, it's sort of temporary based on what our current data and current understanding is, but it's always subject to change and growth and revision. I see what you're saying. And is that an argument for kind of um, not really being too bothered by the underlying causal mechanism and just kind of, is it an argument for saying this appears to work because according to the evidence I'm looking at, it seems to work and to sort of disregard even needing to understand why. Is it an argument for that, perhaps? Um, to a certain extent, I don't 
I think it's important that we come up with an overall justification and cosmology for astrology, but it's not the main thing. The primary thing is just to establish whether it works and what you can do with it in the same way that you know, I can use a microwave to like heat up food without necessarily knowing how the the scientific details of how microwaves work and how and the, the like science underlying that necessarily. You can be an operator of a piece of technology like a car without necessarily knowing the mechanics fully behind a car in either a scientific or even a sense of like becoming a mechanic who could like build and uh, or, or take apart a car and then rebuild it or what have you. Um, there's a certain extent to which most astrologers are people that are using and participating in something that is what we think is, is a legitimate property of the cosmos without necessarily having all of the answers for why exactly it's doing that. Um, because if it's true that it works, it's obviously going to be a huge um, thing that needs to be justified and explained within a broader scientific paradigm. But that doesn't mean that you have to have that in order to use it or just observe the phenomenon for what it is. If that makes sense, so I have my own personal views, and, and each astrologer comes up with different philosophical and cosmological or scientific reasons for why they think um, it works based on their current understanding of the world and based on the um, current prevailing, you know, perceptions about how the world works and how cosmology is set up. But um, there's a certain amount of when it gets to those big picture questions that it's a little bit beyond. The scope, I think, of any individual person and what their personal uh, rationale is, um, whether that's actually the only singular rationale or whether um, it's you know not necessarily. I'm okay, sure and to go to go back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, whether it functions more akin to a science or akin to a religion. Do you personally do you believe in astrology because? Of the empirical evidence that you sort of see, or do you feel there is a leap of faith at some point along the process? Um, no, I wouldn't. I can say really definitively that I wouldn't practice astrology if I didn't think it worked, and if I didn't continue to be to have that that perception reaffirmed. Um, sometimes, even despite my skepticism of you know being surprised, like I'm continually, and I think it's a experience that a lot of more professional astrologers have of being continually almost surprised and sort of like entertained like the fact that this works at all or the fact that you do see these correlations over and over again um but i wouldn't do that i wouldn't continue to do this if i didn't think it worked and i think that's actually a common misconception especially amongst professional skeptics where sometimes it's framed that astrologers know somehow that what they're doing doesn't work and they're just doing it in order to like rip people off or, or make money or lie to people or something like that and that's like an outsider's view on things which i think if you spend like five minutes in the astrological community you realize pretty quickly you know whether these people are you know deluded or crazy or not they genuinely believe that what they're doing is is valid and that they're practicing something that's a genuine like property of of the universe um whether or not that's correct or not is sort of a separate thing but for me i wouldn't keep doing it if i didn't think that it was actually working oh yeah i i mean having talked to astrologers i don't doubt for a second that people are genuinely serious about this 
I suppose I'm more curious about um, where the belief comes from. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did, as you mentioned, have a, my own birth chart read by an astrologer, and I was really struck by kind of how much it resonated. Um, and yes, I, I suppose kind of where the um, challenge for me lies is, I, I don't know whether any birth chart that I was given would also have resonated because you're dealing with archetypes here that are sort of somewhat universal. And um, if I'd been given a completely different birth chart full of the same kind of universal archetypes, would I have had the same kind of gut reaction that, yes, this is correct, this is about me? Um, so I don't know whether I'm making sense here. Um, yeah, birth charts are a lot more specific than I'm giving them credit for. What's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought your reaction to that was really interesting because uh, in the original question that you wrote, you said, I had my own natal chart read recently and it does seem uncannily accurate, but yeah. without understanding the causal mechanism, I, I'm inclined to put this down to confirmation bias. And I thought that was really interesting because um, it meant, you know, th at least in your perception, there was something there where it seemed like it was working even despite your... Um, initial preconceptions before going into it that surely this shouldn't work or shouldn't do anything astrology shouldn't work basically is is the presumption that most normal people should have going into something like this but then you're confronted with an experience where for some reason it does seem to be working but then because um you know cosmologically or philosophically you still have this presumption that it, it can't work or that you don't know a mechanism for why this could work, that there's an assumption then that your perception must just be faulty and this is still wrong, and therefore you should sort of reject it despite having that experience. I thought that was really interesting because there's like a an element of of almost like faith there, ironically, um that's leading you to reject it, even having seen something that might some evidence like to the contrary um and it, it almost felt like an issue of faith there to a certain extent because you believe almost so strongly of the perception going into it that it can't work that you're willing to disregard your own perception that it that it might or that it could um which is i'm not like putting that on you necessarily or, or attacking you and saying that but it's an interesting for me re just reflecting on your reaction to it, because I think a lot of people in your position would have a similar reaction, or a lot of people with mm -hmm. a science education or a more skeptical uh, bent or approach to things would have a similar reaction to it. But it was something that was interesting. I don't know to re to reflect on of of why and if those motivations are correct or, or or what the actual truth is. You know, since we're coming from different perspectives. Mm. No, I'm, I'm not necessarily rejecting it either. I I'm just, I'm very curious about it. I'm just kind of wondering where my own sense of resonates comes from, because for me, I suppose it's easier to kind of think to myself, I'm probably having this reaction because, of, you know, it's, it's archetypes and because I could use my creativity and my imagination to sort of work out how these archetypes apply to me. But I, I wonder whether another one would apply similarly. So it's kind of easier for me to sort of think that than it would be to sort of I, I guess have the whole paradigm shift in my mind, but I, I definitely don't mm. want to reject it out of hand. I'm just sort of curious to go, but explore more a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I know um, you know confirmation bias is an issue, and that's a thing. And I think especially the more generally something is written, for example, if we're talking about like a newspaper horoscope that's just maybe a sentence or two, and if it's something that's written so generally that it could be applied to anyone. 
um, so that there's no way to like validate that really. There's no almost like falsifiability. Um, then yeah, you can run into issues with confirmation bias. But um, when you get into the more advanced forms of astrology that are saying, even though they're still speaking in the language of archetypes, which sometimes can be more broad because archetypes can be multivalent and there, there's different ways that an archetype can manifest in specific ways um, that are still true to the overarching umbrella concept. Um, I don't think that when you're doing these more advanced forms of astrology that you should use an actual birth chart, that it usually is stated so broadly that you can't determine whether that's an accurate statement or not. And I think contrary to usually when this, this argument is brought up about confirmation bias and like the horoscope argument is, is mentioned, um, that just becomes a sort of explanatory mechanism to explain away how people could have the perception that astrology is working without it actually being true. Um, but as anybody that does consulting astrology on a regular basis can tell you, if you sit down with a person, you start talking to them about their life, if you start saying things that are not true to a person about their life, the vast majority of people will be very quick to tell you no, that's not an accurate statement, or no, that doesn't resonate with me. Um, so there is uh, a way in which there, there's a falsifiability, or there's a way in which astrologers actually do find out pretty quickly if something they're saying is not true, or if the astrology is not working, or if their interpretation of it is not good. Um, so that's something that's, again, there's like explanations from outside the astrological community of how to explain astrology away of that it's not working, but it's like based on an assumption that people will always just take something for granted about their life as being true if it's said to them. But in actual practice or actual experience, that's actually not true. People will be very quick to re reject something if it doesn't fit or, or doesn't resonate or just doesn't accurately reflect their life. That's interesting. I was wondering if you knew if there'd been any research to that effect. I was thinking, for instance, if you gave people a selection of birth chart analyses and sort of said, can you guess which one of these is yours? And then if you repeated that a few times and more often than not, people got it right, I suppose that would seem like me to, for an argument that it, there's something to it, just based on kind of current scientific methodologies. Are you aware of any research to that effect at all? Yeah, there were some studies like that that were done in the 80s, like some small-scale studies. One of the issues that you run into, though, with studies like that is that they need to be um, replicable under a very controlled set of um, circumstances. But one of the issues is that because of the lack of um, university support and because of the lack of standardization within the field of astrology, there's a huge degree of variability in terms of the training and the skills um, amongst different astrologers and the approaches amongst different astrologers when they're reading charts. And I think for something like that to be truly done well, there was like some haphazard studies um, done in the 80s that you would have to have a, a certain amount of like knowing who the participants are, know, knowing that they've had good training in astrology. And knowing that they've also had similar training in astrology in order to make sure you're controlling most of the variables involved. And most of the time when I've seen studies like that, it's just picking 
sort of somewhat randomly random astrologers that may not have even been in the field for more than like a few months or a year or something like that. Um, and then just like seeing how they do. And that's not really a good way to do a study like that. But there there's studies like that that would be interesting. There's another one that I've been working on, um, which is a rectification study. And the idea behind this is that um, if the premise of natal astrology is true, that the birth date and time and location of your birth um, will create a birth chart that will emphasize certain planets and certain signs of the zodiac in a person's life, and that an astrologer can read that chart and it will accurately say things about a person's life. Um, one of the things that sometimes people run into is that they don't have a birth time recorded, or they have a birth time recorded, but it's rounded to the nearest hour. It's like approximate or something like that. So one of the processes that astrologers have always had to, to learn eventually is called rectification, which is where an astrologer takes a person's birthday and they have, let's say, an approximate birth time, and they try to reverse engineer the chart to establish what the correct birth time is based on events that are known about a person's life. So that actually, I think, would be a more interesting and compelling test if you had enough, like a, a decent group of astrologers that were well-trained in rectification, and you sat them down and you have an astrologer that's sitting in front of a client and they're able to ask the client questions so that it can uh, accurately reflect what happens in an actual consultation. And then the astrologer has to um, correctly infer whether the person was born at one time during the day or if they were born an hour or two later, that they have two birth times in front of them and they have to choose the correct one. So that's another like version of that test. But like one of the issues is it gets really tied into. Um, you know, obviously the astrologer has to be able to talk to them and ask questions about the person. And I know that there can be ac accusations in that context about cold reading or other things like that. So you'd have to like control for different variables like that. And that's a similar issue with even just sitting down and reading people's charts ahead of them. Cause sometimes people try to control those variables by saying, um, by doing other things like making it so the astrologer can't talk to the person directly. Uh, but I think that then takes it too much out of the natural element that's like necessary or or closely tied into how an astrologer normally works. So it doesn't quite work in the same way. I see. That's really interesting. And would yeah. you like would you like to see sort of more large scale research studies conducted in this field generally, or do you feel like kind of trying to prove things scientifically is kind of beside the point? Um, I was much more interested in this early on, and I was much more like act actively interested in things like that. But part most of my program has been um, because of the lack of standardization in the field and some open issues about different areas of astrology. Um, I, I've focused more over the course of the past fifteen years on going back and understanding the history of astrology. And trying to understand where the system came from and what its theoretical principles are, and trying to reconstruct as best as I could why astrologers use the different techniques that they do today and what the rationale is for them, what the philosophy is, and um, also trying to recover some techniques that were lost because over the past 2,000 years, astrology has changed a lot as it's moved from culture to culture and language to language. 
And it turns out that there were some things that were lost and there were other things that added were added during the course of that process. So for me, I've been focused more on trying to come up with and create a better form of astrology that's more effective uh, in doing some of the things that it wants to do or claims to be able to do. Because if you can do that, then you can create a system that's going to be better at more um, regularly being able to pass, pass tests like the rectification test or the chart comparison test or what have you. Okay, that's really interesting. So another big thing I wanted to ask you about was um, whether or not astrology is predictive, because I, pr- I expect there are probably different interpretations of this too, but do you see astrology itself as something that generally has potential to make predictions for the future, or do you view it maybe as a more, more as a form of, um, well, a tool to make sense of events by, or a set of archetypes to understand ourselves by? Is it actually predictive or not? Um, yeah, I think astrology, I've always argued that astrology is inherently predictive to some extent, at the very least, that, that any astrologer, because astrologers have debates about this and the extent to which things are predetermined or the extent to which astrology is predictive or the extent to which astrology should be used for prediction and whether that's helpful um, because there's been a split in modern times between psychological astrologers who want to use astrology primarily as a helpful tool within the context of, of counseling or psychology, and therefore making predictions is not necessarily the best use of it in that context, and instead they're just using it as an additional lens or additional angle in order to help people from a counseling standpoint. Um, but there's other astrologers that focus more on the predictive, the potential of astrology being predictive, and if it is predictive, how far they can take that and what they can do with it, or the perception that making predictions is the only way that we'll ever legitimize astrology to the public or in a scientific context or what have you, so that it becomes their mission to try to try to do it that way. Um, in my view, I think astrology is inherently predictive because if the basic premise of natal astrology is that the alignment of the planets at the moment a person is born has anything to say about a person's future character or events that will happen at some point in their life, then that means in the basic premise there is some underlying assumption that it has some predictive potential, um, even in the most like restricted sense. So, so therefore, yeah, I think astrology is inherently predictive. Great. And so, um, can you give me any specific examples of how this sort of mundane or predictive astrology has functioned in recent years? Like, for instance, were astrologers able to see COVID coming? Um, yeah, there was a, a French astrologer named André Barbeau who, because uh, one of the issues in doing different types of predictions is how astrologers make predictions primarily is by um, paying attention to astrological correlations as they're happening uh, and going back and studying past events when there's been a specific planetary alignment and then what events occurred in the world at the time of those planetary alignments. Um, and then they project that out in the future and say, well, if this planetary alignment coincided with this in the past, then by extension, when this planetary alignment reoccurs in the future, it should coincide with a similar event, right? So there's different astrologers, though, that have different interests or different specialties in terms of what type of events they want to go back in the past and study or the extent to which a person has gone back and studied historical events in the past, because uh, one of the points is that like, not everybody is a historian. Like, you actually have to have a genuine interest in, in history, 
or studying biographies or studying different phases of human history, different types of events in order to like go out of your way to study certain things. So um, all of that is a preface to say there was a French astrologer named André Barbeau who was very um, well-known and very well-regarded for his work in mundane astrology, uh, which is making predictions about world events as well as studying historical alignments and events in the past. And he had made a specific study about the astrology of pandemics. Um, so what he said, though, is he went back and he studied a bunch of planetary alignments in the past. And I have this quote from him. This was in an article that he wrote in 2012. And what was interesting about Andre Barbeau is that he actually died in 2019. So he died before the pandemic occurred. And he made this statement, um, this prediction in a specific article where he studied pandemics and the astrology of pandemics historically in past alignments. And he went back and looked at different ones. So what he said, and let me see if I can share this. This is from a previous episode that we did at one point, I think in 2020, um, talking about his predictions. But he said, quote, going back to the pandemics and going back to the past century, the four crises of 1918, 1954, 1968, and 1982 are obvious. And the two considerable being the first, the famous Spanish flu, which is said to have claimed 25 million lives, and the last one in AIDS, which is even more devastating and continues to be deadly. Since then, there has also been a small influenza surge in 2009 against the last lowest cyclical index of 2010. We may be in ser serious danger of a new pandemic at the 2020 through 2021 mark at the lowest peak of the cyclic index of the 21st century, with the quintet of outer planets gathering over 100 degrees, a conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto can be more specifically, this is translated from French, so that's why the English is a little rough. And he, he continues, he says, and even specifically lend itself to the tissue of this imbalance. Nonetheless, this configuration can also transfer its core of dissonances to the terrain of geophysical disasters, which ultimately sparing the international affairs scene, nature and society being indiscriminately affected. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are, if, if an astrologer like studied the history really closely and went back and um, compared previous pandemics, then one astrologer who did that, who was reputable, did issue a statement ahead of time about COVID. So that would be a, a recent instance of something like that. That's, I mean, that, that's really quite impressive. Um, <laughs> and, and generally among the astrological community, was there a sense that we were kind of heading up for some kind of disaster, even if we weren't quite sure what it was going to be? Yeah. I mean, on the podcast, one of the funny things was, on, on my podcast, when we did our year ahead forecast, one of our funny things was, you know, we're sometimes trying to relate this to people's lives and how individuals are going to experience it. Um, and so one of the things we said in our year ahead forecast that we recorded in November of 2019, when we were talking about March of 2020, is, you know, we, we made a joke about it at the time, but that ended up being like weirdly prescient but we we said there will be no hugging in the third week of of march of 2020 and we were sort of like joking and laughing about it in that context that just like there was a huge what you might classically think of when you're thinking about astrology of just an alignment of planets all in the same spot in the sky that looked very difficult and um one of the primary things is that it was a conjunction of saturn and pluto and the last time that saturn and pluto were conjoined 
for example, was in um, the early 1980s, which was around the time of, of really the widespread um, sort of understanding of the AIDS epidemic and things like that. So you had sort of a recurrence of the same thing. And yeah, that was one of the ways that we sort of talked about it ahead of time at the time. But if you go back and listen to astrologers in their 2020 predictions, you'll understand that most astrologers were concerned about it being you know, kind of a tough year just in general. But different astrologers also have different, um, different approaches to like how you should talk about what look like negative or difficult things coming up, frankly, because astrologers get worried, especially psychological astrologers get worried about the negative impact of making the negative psychological impact of making bad predictions about the future. Because um, most astrologers are actually concerned about like the psychological well-being and, and saying things that are going to be helpful and things that are going to be um, productive rather than just like freaking people out or rather than doing something that's going to have a negative psychological impact on people. So one of the, for me, from like a like philosophical perspective, things that were, was interesting about 2020 a little bit was seeing the other side of that, which is that for so much of the late 20th century, astrologers, psychological astrologers focused so much on doing no harm with astrology and not making negative statements in astrology, even when things looked bad, that in 2020, we sort of saw the opposite side of that, which is that if you don't say what you see and if you hold back too much, then you're going to get the opposite side of that, which is that people are going to turn around and say, why didn't you say how bad this was going to be, or you didn't predict this or something like that when that might not be necessarily the case. So it was an interesting, I think, as a community um, thing that was sort of learned about the other side of that after several decades of the community going on the other side of just trying to be productive and, and helpful and do no harm. But it was kind of like the other side of if you can do harm by leaving things out or by not being as explicit as you could be, perhaps. I see. So there's a whole ethics aspect to it that I hadn't really considered. Um, and yeah, and I know I know you cover this in a lot more depth with your sort of. I think I thought I think you do a monthly forecast, don't you, of what's coming ahead? But um, mm. yes, do you have anything, kind of any big predictions for what's kind of coming up in the next few years? Um, maybe not any disasters if that's going to bring in an ethical element, but any sort of general predictions. Yeah, I mean, I just did an episode in terms of mon mundane predictions in um, November with my friend Nick Diggin Best, where we talked about this thing that pretty much all astrologers have been talking about for quite a while now, based on a historical observation about the planet Uranus. That, um, and, and it's more of like an American phenomenon, but it's just an observation that in history, the planet Uranus was in the sign of Gemini during pretty much the entire period of the American Revolutionary War, so that the United States was founded with, the, with Uranus in the sign of Gemini, or in other words, in a specific spot in the sky. And then Uranus is on an 84-year orbit, so it takes about 84 years to, to do a complete cycle around the, the zodiac and come back to where it started. And then um, when that happened, 84 years later, approximately, Uranus went back into Gemini for six or seven years because it spends six or seven years in each sign of the zodiac. Um, when Uranus returned to that sign from when the country was founded, um, almost perfectly aligns with the period of the Civil War 
in American history. So it was this huge, hugely um, again tumultuous period in which the United States was involved in like a massive war, and there was a, a sense of like real conflict. Um, so then, eighty-four years after that, Uranus does another cycle all the way around the zodiac, and it comes back to where it started, and very closely it com- came back to where it started in nineteen forty-one. Um, for again about seven years, which then roughly coincided with the U.S. involvement with World War II, um, all of a sudden being involved in another massive war and a massive turning point in terms of U.S. history um, and in terms of you know what the U.S. was before World War II versus what it was after that point. So astrologers have long noticed that correlation because it's pretty just like striking looking at it in history. But the other part of that is that it's almost been 84 years again, so that transit is actually due to come up again in 2025, and Uranus is going to go into Gemini in 2025, and it's going to stay there, I think, until about 2032 or 2033. So, um, you know, that's one of those instances where, again, we're just looking back at past correlations between celestial movements and earthly events starting to draw data that there's been a similar correlation of major wars. Um, you know, Two of them were external wars, and one of them was an internal war, a civil war, but none- nonetheless they've been major conflicts. And so by extension, we could kind of expect that there would be another major uh, defining conflict that would take place between uh, 2025 and 2032 that would be on the level of you know, World War II, the Civil War, and the American Revolutionary War. Um, so that's one of the most interesting, although startling and like not super happy um, observations that I've been tracking in terms of mundane astrology recently. But it's one that we'll find out pretty soon over the course of the next decade if that correlation holds up and continues to be true. Uh, I, I certainly hope not, but based on the way things are going, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me too much. So not necessarily another civil war per se, necessarily, but it could just be an escalation of the kind of divides we're seeing at the moment, maybe? Yeah, I mean, well, what's funny is we originally did this episode 10 years ago. We, my, Nick Diggenbest, the guest that I had on for that episode, he had published a book about it in 2012, uh, or, or maybe it was actually 2013, but it was still about a decade ago. We did that episode, and at that point, it was even further removed from like the reality of we couldn't see how that would be relevant at all, but we still just noted the correlation historically and noted that we were getting close to it about a decade later so that we had some like trepidation going into it. And so what was funny about returning to that topic again now is that we have you know, a much clearer sense that there's a few possible ways in which that could manifest that are suddenly clearer now that we're much closer to it in terms of there being both um, internal division within the country and like recent events in terms of attempt- attempts to like you know overthrow um, uh, or interrupt the democratic process and other like internal issues like that, um, but then also suddenly the the recent um, explosion or or return of of external conflicts like with with Russia or um, even to a lesser extent with China and things like that. So you know. Just focusing on that one correlation, we can't say just using that single one, like what specific manifestation it should be. 
But then that would be a question is if there ends up being some major war, you know, will that be sufficient as a sort of demonstration or would that be sufficient, you know, to somebody like like you of like, you know, okay, there's something going on there. This might be worth investigating further. We might, we might not know why that's doing that, why that's working that way or how that could be possible, but it would rise to the level of that's genuinely interesting enough that perhaps we should put some like research into that area of whatever's going on there in terms of of the world and in terms of cosmology and things like that. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And um, my next question, which is I guess somewhat related to that, is what does astrology have to say about the relationship between fate and free choice? And I'm sure this is there's probably different schools of thought on this. Um but and yes, I know kind of determinism versus free free will is kind of a question that cuts the heart of philosophy anyway, and maybe nobody has any good answers. But from an astrological perspective, um does having our fate written in the stars mean we haven't got the, the ability to change things necessarily? What's your take on that? Um, I mean, I want to be careful. Every astrologer has different views on like fate and free will, and some of that's influenced by their approach to astrology, and it's also partially influenced by their personal philosophy or their religious beliefs or their, their cosmological beliefs or different things like that. And to the extent that I'm speaking as a representative for like the astrological community or all astrologers, I don't want to focus too much on my like personal view on that. But I will say that um, if the premise of astrology is true, as we've said, especially if the premise of natal astrology is true, that the alignment of the planets at the moment a person was born has something to say about their character and their future, even though as, as a baby they haven't really developed that yet. You know, it's it's saying something about the potentiality of the individual and the potentiality of their life before it's fully manifested. And to the extent that we've already established then that if that's true, that astrology is somewhat inherently predictive, then it does imply that there's more about individuals' lives or there's something about individuals' lives that might be um, fated or predetermined or that there might be some concept of fate that does actually exist in the world and that astrology somehow is a, a means or a tool or technology for looking into that. Um, and, and actually in my book, that's pretty much the most important central thesis of my book um, is that somebody in the first, around the first century BCE uh, created a system, specifically like the system of, a, of Western astrology that's still used today 2,000 years later. They created a, a construct for using astrology in order to study uh, fate in a person's life, and that that's part of the purpose of astrology in general. So, like broadly speaking, I think that's the answer. But there's different astrologers have different conclusions about. So even if things are partially predetermined or partially fated, like how far that goes, and and does that mean that everything's predetermined and and everything's fated, or does that mean that there's just certain things that are predetermined in a broader sense and there's a lot of different conclusions about that you know which which partially then gets connected with like how you're practicing astrology and what you're using it for because if you're using it in a more psychological sense then you might have a more limited view on fate um because there's some people that believe that is that an astrological chart only pertains to like their character or psychological things whereas there's other astrologers that say that that the chart can actually describe Concrete external circumstances and events in a person's life. 
So you're going to have different views on fate and fatedness, depending on what your approach is to that. And even in those two approaches, there's going to be you know, different um, or wildly different approaches to just determining how much things are predetermined. Okay, fascinating. And um, yes, so I gathered your background is in Hellenistic astrology, um, which, as I understand it, and as you've been kind of alluding to there, maps closely onto Hellenistic philosophy. Um, so I was wondering how these older forms of astrology compare to the styles that are popular today and um, what the value is really understanding the historical basis. Sure. So um, the answer to that is like twofold. On the one hand, the value to studying the historical basis is that um, even though there were long empirical traditions of astrology in Mesopotamia, in like modern day Iraq, uh, going back a few thousand, about 4,000 years, and there were long traditions of astrology in Egypt um, prior to that time for about 2,000 years. Um, those traditions uh, intersected and were merged in about the first century BCE in Hellenistic Egypt, and there was a bunch of additional concepts and techniques and, and other things that were introduced at that time to create a, a sort of system for interpreting birth charts, and that's the system essentially that's persisted over the past 2,000 years. Um, uh, and that system was created around the time of the Roman Empire, but then eventually the Roman Empire sort of rose and, and fell, and then astrology was transmitted at that point to the um, Arabic-speaking world, to the Islamic world around the 7th and 8th centuries, and then astrology flourished there during the Middle Ages, but then eventually um, it was transmitted back to Europe through translations from Arabic into Latin, and then eventually um, people stopped writing in Latin and started writing uh, astrology books in other European languages. Like the first major English textbook on astrology was written by William Lilly in London in uh, 1647. So, my point is just that astrology of the past 2,000 years was transmitted a bunch of times from language to language and culture to culture. And while the astrologers would always look back and um, draw on the previous philosophical and empirical and other traditions that they had access to in translation up to that point, they often had a limited number of translations to draw on. So they couldn't always draw on the entirety of the previous astrological tradition. And so they would miss things or things would get forgotten about or left out. And there was a number of techniques, sometimes predictive techniques, that help astrology to be more effective predictively that weren't transmitted. So part of the focus uh, recently in the astrological community over the past three decades has been going back to recover um, older astrological texts from the Renaissance and medieval and Hellenistic periods to translate those texts into modern languages to reconstruct and understand the systems that they used, because they often used systems that were somewhat different than what we use today. And then find ways to integrate that information into whatever the current prevailing astrological paradigm is. Um, so that's the value to that. Um, the ways in which it was different, that ancient astrology is different, is that um, it tended to be a little bit more geared towards prediction as opposed to just character analysis. And even though modern astrology and contemporary, especially pop astrology, is primarily uh, focused on character analysis and telling you things about you know, your actions or your psychology or things like that, 
That's actually a very recent phenomenon that's only occurred over the past century where astrology shifted to be largely about psychology, which kind of matched the rise of contemporary psychology in general over the course of the 20th century. But prior to that time, astrologers were more focused on making concrete predictions about a person's future. And so part of the advantage of going back and studying ancient astrology was the potential, at least, of recovering a system that should be more capable from a predictive context, which then naturally is going to be helpful when astrologers are trying to do um, tests or other things like that. It sounds to me like, in a sense, astrology sort of follows the intellectual trends of the time. With um, In the past, it was much more focused on sort of prediction and that kind of fit with prevailing philosophies. And today, it's much more psychologically focused. Would you say that's the case? Um, yeah, because I think part of the reason why astrology was so popular like it's a little hard for me to tell in the Hellenistic period. It's like a chicken or the egg scenario, but Stoicism was super popular in the ancient world around the time that astrology became really popular. Although it's not really clear to me if you know astrology became popular because there was already a prevalent philosophy that said that everything is predetermined and that um, you should accept all events that happen in your life as having the same value because. Um, it's not a good idea to get overly depressed if bad things happened or overly excited if good things happen, but instead to maintain a sort of equilibrium. And then there's this system that comes along that tells you what your future is so that you know what you have to accept in the future and can kind of like not be caught off guard by anything that happens. And I don't know if, if astrology became popular because Stoicism was already popular or if Stoicism became popular because astrology um, was already becoming popular during that period because they're kind of intertwined. But there is definitely a sense where, you know, when astrologers are astrologers are normal everyday people who are just existing in whatever the contemporary world is, and they're practicing within the the religious or scientific or philosophical uh, sort of paradigm of their times. And so, whatever those paradigms are, they will try to adapt their views on astrology um, to that paradigm. Um, yeah, but then those paradigms change. But but the point is just that that yeah, the astrology is often very reflective of its times, and that actually in the history of science has been the initial rationale over the past century for why many academics have um, sort of justified going back and recovering a lot of. Um, ancient texts on astrology or doing studies of ancient astrology within the context of the history of science because they argue that the astrologers in their interpretations of charts and other things like that are always reflecting to some extent the contemporary viewpoint of their times, sometimes much more so than any other ancient source that you can find because they're consulting with everyday individuals and they're trying to make statements about those people's lives. Oh, that's super interesting. So another area I was curious about was, obviously, our understanding of the universe, scientifically speaking, has evolved a lot in recent years. We now know the universe to be vastly bigger than, say, we thought it was 2,000 years ago. Um, and obviously, we've, we know there are exoplanets, there's so much else going on astronomically than what we were aware of in the past. But has that affected astrology at all? Um, the one thing, I mean, extra extra solar planets and other things like that don't necessarily affect astrology. One of the things that has affected and changed astrology has been things like the discovery of new 
of like the outer planets, for example, like the discovery of Uranus and Neptune and Pluto, you know, astrologers had a system up to that point where for 2,000 years they only drew on the seven uh, traditional quote unquote planetary bodies or seven celestial bodies, the, the visible planets, which in the night sky just look like, you know, stars, just like every other star. But then over a long enough period of time, if you keep paying attention to those stars, you notice that they move through the night sky unlike the other stars. So for, a, for many centuries, astrologers only used the planets that were known about. But then all of a sudden, when these new planetary or new celestial bodies were discovered that could be seen only through telescopes, um, astrologers quickly did start trying to um, study those planets in charts and look at what they correlated with in history, and then developing an understanding of what those new celestial bodies meant based on those empirical observations. And then from that point forward, they became integrated into the system as just like new components. And those new components didn't erase everything that was that came before up to that point, but they just added additional variables that were useful in reading charts. So that's one of the ways in which astrologers sometimes um, adapt to and astrology changes based on new scientific or other uh, developments. Okay, and I remember reading a few years ago um, that NASA had identified a thirteenth zodiac sign, and for that reason, everyone's sun signs had uh, shifted by one or something. Um, I, I saw this in kind of magazines, so I'm not sure how credible it is. But do you remember reading the same thing? And has, is that something that seriously affected astrology or or not? Um, no, I mean you'll see this story come up in the news periodically. It comes up every few months or every few years. The same exact story will go viral, and it's usually um, it's a little mixture of a few different things. Because on the one hand, it's a bit of skeptical propaganda, uh, but uh, to sort of mess with astrologers to a certain extent. Um, but it's also based on a misconception about the difference between the tropical zodiac that Western astrologers use, which is aligned with the seasons, versus the sidereal zodiac that is based on the constellations. And it's based on a misperception that most of the public has, which is that Western astrologers or that the signs of the zodiac are based purely on the constellations, when in fact, um, Western astrologers for the past 2,000 years have very consistently been using a system that measures the distance between the equinoxes and the solstices and then divides those, uh, that circle into 12 segments, 12 equal segments. Um, that's the system that astrologers have been using for their reference point of what they call the signs of the zodiac over the past 2,000 years, and that hasn't changed. There's nothing about that that's shifted to the extent that the equinoxes and the solstices are still exactly where they are today, where they were 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago or what have you. So it's actually not true that um, within that context that anything's changed about the signs of the zodiac. As they've been used over the past two thousand years, um, it's just a thing that sometimes, again, um, sometimes it's like outsiders or, or skeptics that like to bring up um, what they perceive as like a, a mistake or a shortcoming. Like they assume that astrologers don't know basic astronomical information about how the seasons align with the constellations, and that astrologers are just mistaken about these things instead of realizing that astrologers are deliberately using 
this specific reference system that has to do with the equinoxes and the solstices, and that these other points about the constellations aren't necessarily relevant in that context. Um, that's like a sort of complicated version of that. But if you look back, like you'll see this story goes viral periodically, like every few years. Um, and it's always framed as if, as if it's like a clickbait title where it's framed as if this is a new discovery and NASA has just discovered this and astrologers have been wrong or everything has shifted or everything else. And the point underlying that is always either something that's sort of like sensationalist on the one hand, or it's um, coming from a perspective of making, trying to make people doubt or sort of like question the validity of astrology and make astrologers look um, like idiots that don't know basic facts about astronomy or something like that, which is just untrue. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would research that and look it back, and you'll just see this same news story going back like like decades and just coming up over and over again and always framed in that sense as if this is some sort of new discovery that changes everything but it's never coming from like within the astrological community it's always coming from sources that already reject astrology to begin with so there's a question about like um whether they're actually the ones that are the arbiters of you know the techniques that astrologers are using and whether that's actually true or appropriate well, thanks for clearing that up. I thought it seemed a bit strange. And as you say, clickbaity, I'd, I'd seen the same thing a few times and thought there was probably a bit more to it than the met the eye with that one. So yeah, I appreciate your response there. Yeah. Um, well, when it originated, the one a few years ago, the last major version of that, like I actually traced it back because I talked about it in a podcast episode at the time. And it was just this random blog that was one of those blogs that's just trying to get traffic sort of like a tabloid or something like that um like a celebrity tabloid and it it just created this like sensationalized story saying that nasa had discovered something new but it's like nasa didn't announce anything new there was nothing that actually went back to nasa announcing or saying anything they were just trying to generate traffic onto this website in order to sell ads but then somehow they were actually able to make it go viral because typically when like a normal person that doesn't know anything hears that, but that has even like a slight interest or belief in astrology or let's say just their sun sign, they'll click on that thinking like, oh, my sign has changed or something like that. And it genuinely does generate views and traffic and, thing, and that's why it goes viral so often. But if you trace back the origins of it, it's often to somewhat questionable sources, or at least it was in that instance. And uh, yeah, you kind of mentioned there about um, there are people, a lot of people today who do have a passing interest in astrology, perhaps more so now than I'd say there were a few years ago. And I'm, I'm certainly seeing kind of astrologies everywhere in terms of memes. There's so many memes about kind of people's rising signs and moon signs. And I think a certain understanding of astrology has entered um, kind of mainstream awareness more than it had a few years ago, maybe. And I'm curious what your views on that are, where you think this has come from. Right. And I wanted to talk about that because that's the main uh, approach and one of the main questions you had about astrology and the approach that you're taking in your yeah. book. And I wanted to clarify something about that um, that's really important to understand, which is that I don't know if your original question, if you were thinking that this was a, a byproduct or connected with the pandemic, but one point that's really important when it comes to astrology is that the sudden rise in the popularity and this new sort of generational interest in astrology amongst younger people, which, which is part of what it was, 
that started um, actually before the pandemic. Um, it started back in the 2017 and 2018 timeframe because I actually did uh, a podcast episode on it back then where I talked with two other astrologers because it started with the New York Times, I think in late 2017 and early 2018, the New York Times published this, this article um, saying, you know, what's with the recent rise in, in the popularity of astrology? And then something happened at that point where it created this sort of cascade or this domino effect where all of a sudden a bunch of other publications then started publishing articles also asking and noting the recent rise in the popularity of astrology. And what's funny, if you go back and you listen to my episode about that, I think it was from early 2018, like January of 2018, is, uh, and I talked to two other astrologers about it, I was kind of skeptical at the time about whether it was true that there had been a, a bump in the popularity of astrology or if this was just like uh, sort of like a media thing saying that there was because I was observed. For example, I noted at the time that um, books on astrology, like uh, if you go to a normal bookstore, that um, the publication of astrology books, it seemed like had been dwindling over the past decade where most astrology stores used to have like a shelf of astrology books, if not like a bookcase. But I noticed that like books were just like becoming less and less on astrology, less and less popular at bookstores. Although I wasn't sure if that was just a byproduct of like the publishing industry struggling in general. Um, but we actually in this episode in early 2018, like kind of debated whether it was true that astrology was becoming more popular. And I was a little skeptical at the time, but then Within over the course of the next year, it was really clear. It became really clear that that no, something actually had really shifted because all of a sudden astrologers were seeing this influx of a lot of new younger astrologers, especially in their twenties, into the astrological community, and that continued to increase from 2018 to 2019 into 2020. So one of the things that I wanted to note it is just that that shift and that sudden increase in the popularity of astrology had started well before the pandemic. And it wasn't just a, a side effect of the pandemic or of people um, you know, searching for answers during a really difficult time or something like that. It was something, whatever it was due to, that, that started well before that. Interesting. And do you have any sort of big overarching ideas what it might be due to? Um, it, was some, it was some sort of generational thing because it was especially people in their 20s and it was really notable because for the longest time in the mid-2000s, when I, I started studying astrology in 1999, and then I started interfacing with other astrologers in person in the astrological community when I started going to um, a, a school for astrology in the mid-2000s, and I started attending conferences when I was in my early 20s. And for the longest time, I was always the youngest person at conferences, and I would very rarely meet other young astrologers. Um, and I even became involved in and eventually became the president of an organization that helped to advocate for younger astrologers or helped to provide them with resources in order to encourage more young astrologers to um, you know, pursue education in the field, or at least if they, if they chose to study the subject, just to provide like a welcoming context to welcome them into the community and help them attend to conferences by providing scholarships or other things like that. Um, but there was actual articles from back then where the older generation of astrologers who tended to be the baby boomer generation who were born in the 1940s and like the to some extent like the hippie or the counterculture generation who came of age 
um, in the 1960s, that was the last time there was a huge influx of like younger astrologers into the community was in the 1960s and 70s. And then after that point, there was this large generational gap. And for the longest time, that older generation of astrologers was always asking, you know, is this, is this it? Is astrology dying out? Or will there be like a younger generation that comes in and takes over at some point? Um, and I have quotes from astrologers in the mid-2000s actually like asking and reflecting on that question. Um, so that generation, eventually, there did suddenly there was some sort of generational change, and it happened in the 2018, 2019, and 2020 timeframe. A bunch of younger people came into the community. Um, I'm sure there's some like astrological reason for it or something like that. I have a hard time with practical reasons. I mean, the only practical thing that I could point to is, you know, 10 years ago, if you asked somebody what their zodiac sign is, that would mean their sun sign, right? That's like yeah. what most people, I think, our age would associate with that question. Um, but nowadays, most people know their, their quote unquote big three, their sun, moon, and rising signs. And part of the reason for that is there has been a shift in terms of the, the technology has changed and the availability of free um, software or apps in order to calculate your birth chart uh, has suddenly um, seen a rise. So first starting with websites, like for example, when I got into astrology in 1999, there was just one website where you could go to to get a copy of your birth chart calculated. But over the course of the past 20 years, now there's just a ton of different websites you can go to for free to get that calculated. So that was one step. But then over the past decade, we've also seen the rise of um, mobile apps, like different apps that a person can download and install on their phone that'll calculate your chart or will tell you what your sun, moon, and rising is. And that's another instance where it's kind of a, a chicken or the egg scenario because I don't know if it was that the apps are what made it so that suddenly everybody, they, that the apps became popular on their own and therefore everybody could then know their sun, moon, and rising and that raised interest and like awareness and consciousness of astrology or alternatively because it's equally possible that it's just that those apps became super successful because for some reason there was this larger generational interest in astrology and the apps just were able to kind of like ride that wave um but whatever it is i do know that generally speaking because of the availability of apps and websites and free options for calculating your birth chart that there's been this public shift in the conception of astrology where now people know more about it and they know that it's a little bit more complicated than what a, a general person knew astrology was like 10 years ago, to the extent that 10 years ago they only knew about their sun sign. And now they know that there's at least three different zodiac signs that make up something about their personality. So, you know, I think that's part of what's changed things. And maybe that creates more of an on ramp potentially into then discovering the birth chart and discovering that astrology is more complicated than you initially thought and that more people therefore seeing that and discovering the advanced forms of astrology then perhaps get interested in it and decide that that's something they'd like to study further in order to in the same way that I did in terms of wanting to see how far they can take it or what kind of predictions you can make with it or what have you mm. and that idea you said of um maybe the kind of original sort of hippie counterculture 
sort of having a kind of comeback is something I'm exploring in other chapters of the book as well, because I am seeing it in a, f- a few different ways. A lot of these sort of old, um, yeah, kind of hippie ideas seem to be revived in some sense. So I, I feel like there is a kind of an element of that. And it's interesting to see how that intersects with technology for, you know, the younger generation today. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely mean, want to look further into this. One of the things I'm nervous about, one of the shifts I have seen is I did notice a decline in um, skepticism over the past decade. I feel like the, and when I say skepticism, I mean like the professional skeptical community. Like, I don't know how familiar you are with that, but I feel like when I originally came into astrology and originally was studying for the first 10 years in the 2000s, that um, there was a much more robust um, scientific skepticism community that was like, you know, had very specific designated leaders like James Randi or Michael Shermer or other people like that. And they had, you know, conferences and magazines and podcasts and blogs and other things that were very active and very um, sometimes like aggressive about going after things that were viewed as being pseudoscience or were viewed as being um, against scientific thinking. And I felt like that community was much more robust in the 2000s. And I feel like something happened over the course of the past decade where it kind of um, felt fell apart or became less robust. Or I know that there was the loss of certain leaders, like James Randi, for example, pa- passed away, um, or others got caught up in like political issues, like um, you know Richard Dawkins and some of the yeah. sh- shifts in, in different things due to um, social changes or even. To a certain extent, Michael Shermer got caught up in some of that, um, and I don't know if that's the reason, but it just seems like, uh, for some reason, there was a weird timing there where while astrology was getting more popular, there's also been a decline in skepticism. And you know, from my perspective as an, as an astrologer, there's probably some specific generational th- markers for that, or like outer planet markers, and there's some that come to mind that I think about, but that's sort of like a separate explanation for just like observing the phenomenon of seeing both of those communities change over the past decade. And you say this concerns you? Um, would you, would you in the astrology community want there to be a thriving skeptical movement uh, alongside it? How, um, is that something you actively would like? Um, I mean, I, I would to the extent that like I actually myself Ironically, as an astrologer, like I'm kind of skeptical about a number of things because I entered the community through a more new age and to a certain extent a somewhat um, like conspiracy theory uh, avenue where um, there was some stuff that I, I, I got into at first that I later realized was like not true and, and was like not an accurate reflection of reality. And so I've often been interested in like skeptical stuff, and I've even attended like a skeptic conference once um, called Skeptic Camp here in Colorado. Um, and I think there's a value towards skepticism because sometimes that's really important and necessary, especially in a time period in which you know misinformation and people just accepting different things from social media has become so much more prevalent, and, and where people. Um, aren't taught uh, critical thinking skills to a certain extent, or at least a time when critical thinking skills are more necessary and important for society than ever. Um, yeah, there's like a certain extent where having a more robust skeptical community would maybe be a good thing societally. Um, 
and even to a certain extent for astrology, because I don't think astrologers should always take everything for granted, and they should question, and they should um, not just take astrology as a faith or a religion or a belief system, and, and I don't think most astrologers do, but it's always good to have some um, check on that, on that tendency or, or what have you. But on the other side of that, as an astrologer, there's also a downside to that, which is, um, you know, there's nothing worse than somebody that has an ideological reason for feeling like it's okay to attack somebody else or who's, who's um, sort of approaching things from a purely ideological reason, even if they have no firsthand experience with things. And in my experience of interacting with most like professional skeptics that make a, a job out of it or make that like a hobby of some sort, um, it becomes more of an ideological thing where most of the ones that I've interacted with aren't very familiar with astrology. And if you ask them some basic questions about the subject, it becomes really clear most of the time that they haven't really studied it, but they're still adamantly like convinced or sometimes even like militantly convinced that it's it's wrong, that it's not true, and that it's a bad thing, but also that astrologers are actively harming or trying to rip people off. So they therefore have like almost a, a ideological justification for doing anything they can to like stop them or to uh, mess with them, to troll them, or to do other things generally to stop that from happening because they truly believe that astrologers are up to no good and that they're like bad people that are, are hurting people, which is not necessarily the case. And it partially stems from their lack of familiarity with the actual astrological community. Um, but there's something about that that piece of things that I'm not looking forward to. And I do suspect that there's going to be a shift at some point in the next decade. Because um, I, I, I partially think it has to do with Neptune going through Pisces over the past decade. And that's going to shift here in a few years. And I think that might be one of the changes is the shift in the skeptical community starting to make a bit of a comeback at some point and starting to reorganize and reorient themselves um, in whatever the new time frame is that we're existing and sort of moving beyond whatever the previous uh, approaches had been from the 1990s and other things that were appropriate then that maybe aren't, aren't working as well now. Interesting. Well, one of the big themes that I'm looking to cover in my book is um, to what extent and in what way spirituality can kind of coexist with critical thinking. Like, can we bridge the two? Can you be a skeptic and at the same time have a sort of, um, you know, be, be involved in a certain kind of spiritual practice? I'm not sure whether you'd even call astrology a spiritual practice, but um, yes, to what, to what extent can they coexist? And um, I think we're perhaps on the same page about wanting the wanting to be an element of critical thinking in all of these enterprises. Yeah, I think that's really important um, in whatever you're doing to have a certain element of critical thinking and to not not take things for granted has been always been like one of my main things is just like don't take anything for granted. Um, I try not to do that with my audience. I try to assume when I do a podcast that they don't have any idea what I'm talking about. And so I have to introduce it from the ground up and then get to the more advanced things. But also with myself, I try to strive on a regular basis not to take things for granted. And to try to research, research or get to the bottom of things, even for like news stories. If everyone on social media is saying something happened, just trying to get back to the source and, and read it firsthand myself, so that I understand at least what the basis is of the public opinion that's formed. Um, yeah, I don't think astrology is 
what what was the way that you phrased that? Like a, a religion or, or a spirituality? Uh, spirit, a spiritual enterprise. I'm not sure whether that's accurate to say that. I think that astrology does, you know, this is debated in the community, but I think at the very least, at, the, at even the most restrictive sense, um, that astrology, if it works, and if you're using it or practicing it, or if you're observing it happening um, firsthand, that it does raise like philosophical or or cosmological or spiritual questions about the world and about like what we're doing here and what this means and um, you know does fate exist or or destiny or all these other things. It certainly raises all of those issues and naturally leads one to contemplate them. And to that extent, it does start interfacing and getting into an area of of religion and of spirituality and belief, which is like the, the broader ways of how we like contextualize our lives and, and what our meaning and purpose is here. Um, and that's the problem with astrology is that it really straddles both fields and has a foot in both fields. It's not entirely scientific and it's not entirely religious. But it has elements of science to the extent that it has this empirical component, but then it also has these um, religious and philosophical uh, components at the same time. And on the one hand, that's a downside to astrology or a downside to being an astrologer in society because astrology then is actually um, rejected by both camps typically where you get rejected both uh, from a scientific standpoint that it's not scientific enough or it's not validated within our current worldview or by the um, current scientific studies or what have you, but then it also gets rejected oftentimes from a religious standpoint as well, where for Christianity, for example, it was originally rejected partially um, through issues about fate and free will because um, Christianity really emphasized free will and to the extent that astrology was partially saying that things might be more predetermined, it was like it ran up against the religious um, sort of orthodoxy of things. Um, so that puts astrology in a really precarious position in society where it's on the outs of both religion and science, but then it's also at the same time probably one of its virtues is that it's very unique in that sense to the extent that it could have its foot in both worlds and could potentially like bridge both worlds to some extent, to whatever extent that's true. Um, you know, raises some really interesting possibilities that, that to me at least, make it even more interesting, even if it contains or carries some some drawbacks. Mm, that's really fascinating and something I'm going to have to think more about. Um, and so I'm, I'm aware I've taken up a lot of your time already, so I've only really got one final question, um, which is a big open-ended one to finish with. Are there any um, big misconceptions about astrology that you'd like to debunk? Are there any big misconceptions? Um, I mean, we've talked about so many of them at this point. I mean, I think you know the biggest one from skeptics is just the idea that astrologers are uh, cold reading people, or that they're malicious, or that they don't believe in what they do, um, or other things like that, or that they're just that astrology only works through confirmation bias or, or things like that. And I think so many of those things are just misconceptions or, or preconceptions or prejudices and, and assumptions rather than people like looking into something and having a firsthand experience and deciding for themselves that it's true or not true. And I realize, you know, putting controls on things and doing um, 
things in a controlled scientific context because of a fundamental belief in the fallibility of human perception is part of the scientific method at this point in time. But um, there's also uh, an extent to which I think it's important for people to actually study things themselves instead of taking for granted what somebody else says, because that's so often so many of these things like the 13th Zodiac or the confirmation bias things, um, people that are in a more skeptical mindset will tend to just accept these arguments and repeat them, but they haven't actually looked into it themselves. So I, I think I would just encourage people to look into it themselves and come to their own conclusions rather than accepting something that somebody else says, because then that ironically becomes almost a matter of faith, even though the person doing it thinks that they're following the more scientific method or the scientific viewpoint. Um, and that's a way in which you know, there's a, a weird contradiction in society to a certain extent about the science versus faith issue at this point. Um, are there any other misconceptions that you think of or things that you think of in astrology that we haven't addressed? No, nothing in particular. I mean, I suppose, as you say, 10 years ago, people thought about astrology, they were thinking about their sun sign. It's pretty easy to kind of refute, oh, um, not every Taurus is going to have the same day, therefore astrology is not, not true, you know? Right. But I, I feel like um, we probably have moved away from that, and most people nowadays are aware that there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah, I guess that actually does raise a point, though, because we're still at that level in that most people, their understanding of astrology is still fundamentally about um, character analysis and the idea that you know now it's become instead of just having one sign and whether that sign matches your personality, that you have three signs and whether those match your personality. Um, but I think actually the, mo the more interesting thing about astrology, the thing that everybody really needs to investigate is the most fundamental timing technique in astrology, which is the concept of transits, where you take your birth chart, which is um, you know, the positions of the planets at the moment you were born, and then you see what happens in the future when different planetary alignments happen in a person's life, especially during important events in a person's life. And what will happen is that at important um, planetary alignments in the future that match up with your birth chart, that important events will happen in your life. That's one of the basic premises of predictive astrology and the concept of transits. And I always wish that more people understood that concept and would investigate it for themselves because that's really the concept that has to be investigated if one wanted to determine if there's any validity to astrology is, you know, can you predict events with transits or um, alternatively have major planetary alignments at specific turning points, like important turning points in your life, actually lined up in a way that, that symbolically spoke to that situation or described it accurately, like when a person had like their first child or when they were recognized for an important award or when they got married or other things like that, um, the planets shouldn't be lining up with and showing that important turning points would happen at, at that point in your life when those important things happen. Yet for some reason, from the perspective of astrologers, they do. And I think if more people, especially more smart, like educated, even skeptical or science-minded people investigated that and then saw those correlations that they would be startled by it but also that some of them would be so fascinated by it that they would probably choose to investigate it further as well and then at some point 
we'd probably get another Ptolemy type figure who's like a polymath or uh, a, a leader or somebody that has training in a number of the other scientific disciplines um, who could help to create a sort of unified theory that could find a place for astrology and contemporary cosmology, you know, better than somebody like myself who's more of a historian or better than some other astrologers who are horoscope writers or something like that. Um, you know, astrologers actually need that. And, and I think it would be good for the astrological community if more, you know, people that thought at high levels like that and had other training and other types of sciences were um, helping astrologers to like figure things out. Uh, I think that would be a good thing for the, the community and the world in general. Do you see anybody coming up like that at the moment, or is that a bit of a pipe dream? Um, no, I mean, there's, there's always periodically different people like that that are operating or doing astrology or have a side interest in astrology. Most of the time, the biggest problem is just that that's like career suicide for anybody to be publicly um, sort of open about their astrological interests or astrological studies. Um, so you'll get people like that that have a personal interest in it or a personal study, but then it's only occasionally that you'll get somebody that actually tries to integrate that into their career. Like for example, Richard Tarnas, for example, who you know wrote in the early '90s, "The Passion of the Western Mind," which was like a very popular, it became a very popular sort of college textbook for studying the changes in Western thought through history and philosophy and science and everything else. But then it turned out that he was actually writing that as kind of like a, a precursor to this other book that was studying the history of astrology and that actually went through and showed how um, important turning points in Western thought and scientific paradigms had actually coincided with specific planetary alignments in the past. And he published that book in like 2005 or 2004 as like a major thing. And a lot of people were surprised that he sort of like, you know, came out as an astrologer. Um, but yeah, it sort of takes things like that, but it's kind of a risky move for a person to do that. And only certain people find themselves in that position where they have the luxury of doing that, whereas others, I think it's more of a private thing. I see. It's interesting you use the phrase come out as an astrologer there, because the other astrologer I spoke to used exactly the same phrase talking about herself. She almost had to come out. Um, you know, publicly sort of state that she was into this, and uh, yeah, and I want to, I need to actually clarify that because I don't want to get in trouble. Because I know astrologers do commonly use that phrase because they have a similar experience, oftentimes of trepidation. In sometimes astrologers develop this as a hobby or a side interest, um, and there's a certain amount of risk that's involved in becoming public, either with their employer their social circle or even their family about their interest mm -hmm. in astrology and there's a certain amount of risk sometimes in a person being open about that because then they become the subject sometimes of presumptions or or criticisms because you know th there's all sorts of different potentially negative assumptions that a person might make about you if you say that you do astrology that you practice astrology you're interested in it like a skeptic will think you're an idiot, or you believe in a lot of things that aren't true, or you're you're actually actively against scientific uh, progress, or that you're ripping people off. A, a religious person might think that you're, you know, in league with the devil, or you're doing witchcraft, or or other things like that. Um, so astrologers do have a certain amount sometimes of risk, but at the same time, um, you know, 
using that phrase is, is a little tricky because it's not usually the same amount of risk that a person who's uh, who's gay has in terms of like coming out and being open about their sexuality. And I want to be clear that I'm not by using that phrase fully trying to equate the two or trying to say that astrologers have the same level of, of potential difficulty in terms of that. Um, but it's just an analogy that sometimes people that that astrologers use because of the similar feeling of fear or like trepidation about being open with people of, in their life about what they do or what they believe because it sometimes has um, major downsides to being being open about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely the sense I got from her as well, though she did say that it had gone a lot better than she thought and uh, people are very receptive to it, which to me sort of speaks to this sort of increased popularity of astrology among our demographic today, perhaps. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely yeah. better than it used to be at, at different points, you know, because uh, if I, I mean both from a, from a religious standpoint, it seems like that's becoming to some a certain extent less of an issue, um, and and maybe that has to do with society becoming less religious to a certain extent, or at least certain orthodox views not being as as prevalent as they were before then. And then yeah, there's greater acceptance among younger people, but it's like on the other hand, you will still run into sometimes. Um, some issues if you if you say that there's still definitely people who um, don't have favorable views of astrology. I mean, I think most polls that I read says that most scientific polls I've read said that it's only something like 25 percent or in the range of 25 percent of people quote unquote believe in astrology. And there's kind of an issue in terms of that phrasing, in terms of what that means by believe in astrology that I that I've always been. A little uncomfortable, or at least nervous, about whether that's an accurate reflection of what it's what it's trying to figure out. But even in that aside, if that's true, that means like that's only about like a quarter of of society that thinks that astrology might be a legitimate phenomenon, and that leaves a whole what seventy five percent, or even like let's say seventy percent, the most generous. If we went up to thirty percent of belief in astrology, that's seventy seventy percent of the population. That doesn't think that that's a legitimate phenomenon, or 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 thinks that it's evil, or that it's harmful or anti-scientific. So yeah, that that puts you that gives you some interesting perspective in terms of just like then thinking about the consequences of if you are open about that, like what your just statistical likelihood if you meet a stranger and tell them you're an astrologer, what the reaction to that is going to be. Mm. Well, there's certainly. A lot more to it than I thought there was when I began researching this subject because I had quite a superficial knowledge of it to begin with, and I didn't appreciate the level of depth that actually goes on to, goes into it. And um, I've really enjoyed the conversation with you. You've cleared up a lot of my own misconceptions about it, and I feel like I've got um, a lot to investigate further here. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for uh, approaching me with these questions and for being open to like recording this, just because I always like. I, I like having discussions like this because part of my goal as an astrologer has always been trying to figure out how to explain what I do to um, people that aren't familiar with the subject. And so I kind of like like or relish the opportunity to the extent that I kind of see myself. You know, sometimes there's like science educators like um, you know uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson or, or Bill Nye or to a certain extent at one point like Richard Dawkins or people like that that try to explain. Science to the public or people that aren't familiar with it, and I always felt like we needed something like that in the astrological community. So I've tried to a certain extent, amongst many other roles, to like play that role. 
So thanks for giving me the opportunity to like kind of discuss some of this today and to help um, me to you know express some of my thoughts about how it works and what the astrological community is about and other things like that. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with the book. Let me know when it's out and I look forward to reading it. Thank you. I look forward to listening to your podcast more. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, sinistry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. I also recently published a new translation of the anthology of the 2nd century astrologer Vedius Valens, which is one of the most important sources for understanding the practice of ancient astrology. You can find that by searching for Vadius Valens the Anthology on Amazon or other online book retailers. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. I also recently launched a new course there called the Birth Time Rectification Course, where I teach students how to figure out your birth time using astrology when the birth time is either unknown or uncertain. You can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Each year, the podcast releases a set of astrology calendar posters for the coming year, 
and we've just released our 2023 Planetary Alignments and Planetary Movements posters, which are now available on our website at theastrologypodcast.com slash store. There you can also pick up our 2023 Electional Astrology Report, where Lisa Scheim and I went through the next 12 months and we picked out the single most auspicious date for each month using the principles of Electional Astrology. You can get that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Finally, thanks also to the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is happening May 25th through the 29th, 2023, just outside of Seattle. This year's conference is going to be a hybrid conference where you can either attend online or in person. Find out more information at norwac.net.